2: Hi, everyone. Garodian here. Thanks so much for listening to our very extra special bonus episode today. A bit of a different format uh, on today's episode. While you can listen to it in your headphones here, it's also available with uh, closed captions and ISL interpretation on YouTube. We're really excited about this. And it's through the generosity of our wonderful patrons that we're actually able to produce this episode Um in the way it should be. Um, I'm so excited uh, for this episode to go live and for you all to listen to it and hopefully view it as well. So please enjoy and we'll see you all on the next one.
0: to podcast network welcome to mother folklore a podcast about words irish irish words words from ireland I, i'm dara crochet
2: and i'm geraldine mcavoy
0: and we're absolutely thrilled to have a special guest with to talk to you today
2: i'm really excited to have this guest on um, Uh, we've been planning this episode for a really long time and actually COVID made it a little bit easier to do, (laughs) um, would you believe? (laughs) So some benefit from that, um, hopefully. Um, And some of you actually might recognize our guest. We're doing a bit of a different format to this uh, episode today. We're putting it out in video format um, and audio format also. And for those of you with us on the video, you might recognize our guest if you watch the new and then you Proceed to watch the ISL news after because we're joined today by Caroline McGrathy, who is a freelance ISL presenter. Caroline, welcome. Hi, thank you very much for having me on the show.
0: Thank you so much for joining us, Caroline.
1: Yeah, I think we, we kind of had first just discussed this like maybe a year ago, maybe a mm. year and a half. Seems so long ago now. Twenty twenty is just a bit of a blur. I can't even remember if it was twenty nineteen or twenty twenty. But uh, yeah, finally glad that we can get to reconnect there again.
0: No, we're, we're absolutely thrilled. We have wanted to we wanted to do an episode on this topic for such a long time. Uh, there's, there's so many issues in relation to it. One of which is that maybe not not every, all of our listeners or viewers even today might know that ISL Irish Sign Language is actually now an official language, one of Ireland's official languages.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose just to uh, give a bit of context to that, um, you know, some people don't, they kind of ask what is Irish Sign Language and they think that it's actually like gaelga in Sign Language and you're kind mm-hmm. of having to say no, 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 it's the language of Ireland in which deaf people use. So yeah, you're right. Um, three years ago, on the 14th of December 2017, um, the Dáil actually passed the ISL Recognition Bill. And then in the 24th of December 2017, so Christmas Eve, um, our president actually signed it into law. So it was a really nice Christmas present for the deaf community in Ireland. It was quite an emotional time. And I suppose since three years on, it's become officially enacted and implemented now. So, yeah, that's the ISL is kind of like the third um, official language of Ireland. And it is great that we now have achieved that status.
2: Yeah, and it was such hard won by the deaf community. I mean, people don't realise it, but like, this was like thirty years in the making that people were advocating for. I mean, it's it's kind of similar in in some instances. I always find it similar to some of the the sort of the struggle for recognition and particularly around the the um, the uh, institution of TG Carer and Irish people trying to get like services available for them, but on a kind of a much more like important level, even for for deaf people. Um, It's a really fantastic step forward for Ireland to to recognize and to provide a law that says, here's what you're entitled to and here's your services for the deaf community. And I think as well as that, I hope that it's going to do some stuff for visibility for the deaf community, because I know Mm -hmm. I've mentioned it on the podcast before, I do some research on, on deaf people and ISL. And I've become really passionate about it over the last four years. But prior to that, I knew nothing. And I think a lot of people might be similar to that. A lot of our listeners maybe are the same, that they just don't know much about the deaf community. There's not a lot of visibility. And of course, you, as we said, you know, Caroline, you're doing a lot to, to bust that. But one of the things I think that has come out of COVID is the visibility of deaf people and the visibility of sign languages.
1: Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, um, just for, I suppose, the listeners or the, the viewers, um, I'm actually deaf myself. Um, she's so probably kind of like, why am I on the show? Like, who's she? Like, how dare she talk about the deaf community and sign language? So I'm actually fourth generation deaf on my, on my dad's side and both my parents are deaf. And so I, I would consider myself as quite culturally deaf, but yeah, definitely the, pandemic i mean a lot of the deaf organization particularly the irish deaf society and chime you know they really kind of did a big campaign initially when the government was announcing kind of lockdowns and stuff there was no um isl interpreters provided and you know that really kind of like we need access to that information as well like my father who's like in his 70s who lives up in the northwest of ireland like in the back end of nowhere you know he doesn't have access to Facebook or anything like that and he really relies on you know the six o'clock news to kind of tell him the news and what's happening so you know I was very conscious myself to kind of like text my dad and you know tell him you know wash hands and all this kind of way and so the irish deaf society and other organizations they really did campaign you know kind of where is the interpreter campaign and you know got it and they've been present nearly every single day since so i think there's a team of six of them um, and they've become quite uh, they've gained popularity in the news as well they've been interviewed on the news they've been doing newspaper articles and now if they're not there people question why they're not mm-hmm. there so yeah. it has been great to have that visibility now
2: yeah, it's really wonderful to see and to see people being like, "Hey, there's no interpreter here." Or even during the something I find really cool during the um, the U.S. presidential election. I think it was Georgia. There's a, a an interpreter in Georgia who's a, a deaf interpreter, and he was getting a lot of international media. There was something in the the um, the Guardian, I think, about him, and people were really impressed by his sign and just his ability. And then hearing on top of this this sort of having never heard about a deaf interpreter before, like people being exposed to that because of, I think probably because of COVID, because they're so visible now, maybe they're a little bit better in, in America. I, I do often see them at um, like public events and stuff. Um, but just the visibility globally has been, I guess, cool. kind of great. Um, it, it's sad that it's taken, you know, a global pandemic and people not having access to to get to this point. But um, it is good to see that shift in people being like, hey, there's no interpreter. There should be mm-hmm. an interpreter.
1: I seen uh, a really cool um, kind of, meme i don't know if you want to call it meme on twitter but there was like a collage of different countries around the world and there was screenshots from like the news and stuff and they all had like the interpreter and stuff and it was just class to see you know this big massive collage of must be like 20 30 different countries with their news channels you know about the pandemic and you know 30 of those countries had an interpreter, you know, in shot. So that, that was really cool to see that, you know, and to see it is not just an Ireland issue, it's actually a global issue, you know, and it's great that it's getting visibility on a global scale and not just in Ireland. Okay.
0: So what's something that, um, when, when the discussion about ISL becoming an official language, something that a lot of people weren't aware of is that the sign language of Ireland slightly different from the sign languages of the the american sign language british sign language the so the the irish sign language sign for england or great britain is different from the the great british one for for the uk one for the for great britain and so forth um uh, how does i what's the history of irish sign language or when 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 did it start evolving as a as, as its own as its own distinct entity
1: So I suppose um, there's always a bit of a debate around this, okay? Because as long as deaf people have existed, there's Mm -hmm. always been a form of sign language, okay? So, you know, there's been a bit of debate. Some people say it was invented in, like, 1740s, because sorry, 1840s, because that's when the, the deaf schools were set up. But it did exist before that, and we know that, because, like, there's, you know, archives, there's newspaper clippings there. But I suppose what happened was in... 1840s, well actually prior to that there was, you know, schools for the deaf, but they were mainly president schools. Um, In in fact, my my grandmother, my dad's uh, mother actually went to the president deaf school, which is local to me here in Glasnevin. So I suppose the the Catholic congregation were kind of going, we need schools for, you know, Catholic children because otherwise everyone's going to become a president, you know. Um, this is, Bear in mind, this is like 1840s, you know, so very hot topic back then in, in Ireland. So uh, the Dominican nuns actually went to France because that's where... I suppose the first go for the deaf was established, so they went there and they learned from I suppose the the nuns there and the teachers there about you know how they how to teach deaf children. They brought like two girls with them, and I suppose they looked at their sign language and they developed I suppose what what now is called modern day Irish sign language. So they did borrow a lot of signs from France, and um, so and they brought them over here and they adapted them and kind of came up with a new signing system which we now know as ISL but um so we still actually use some french influences in our sign today um, america would have been quite similar um, would have quite a similar structure and kind of syntax and hand shaped to french sign language as well lsf is called but in britain so which includes northern ireland um, they use a totally different language like people always say is probably linguistically similar, like, you know, English is to Japanese, just like completely, you just wouldn't be able to compare them, you know? So I suppose that's kind of, there's there's no fixed date and there is a bit of debate going on, but what we now know is ISL probably did originate from, I suppose, the form teaching in the deaf schools, you know, in the 1840s.
0: I hadn't even crossed my mind that there was a border issue in sign language in Ireland. And I mean, I, I just say I suppose I, I, I have the the luxury of not having have, have, not having had to think about it that much before. But that's that's remarkable.
2: Uh, but they yeah. do. I know in during the coronavirus thing, they've been because in there was a problem in the UK where Boris Johnson wasn't having a a, yeah. a VSL interpreter with him, whereas Nicola Sturgeon and the Welsh person whose name I don't know, um, <laughs> but in Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland they all had interpreters, and in Northern Ireland they had two, so they had. An ISL interpreter and a BSL interpreter. And I remember seeing somebody on Twitter fundamentally misunderstand, like you had mentioned, Caroline, thought it was, uh, oh, they have to have an interpreter for the nationalists and for the unionists. (laughs) not understanding that they're two very different languages and i kind of had to very kindly explain no no it's that's not what's at play here and in fairness to them they were like oh i didn't realize that but um yeah so they were pretty good in in northern ireland to provide both the bsl and the uh, the isl because there is people along the border who will will use isl and vice versa
1: yeah like i suppose you know it does kind of stem from the whole sectarianism up there because you know in way back when, you know, the deaf schools for Catholics was in Dublin. Do you know what I mean? Um, So, like I said, my dad is from the northwest of Ireland, and, you know, all of his, like, you know, school friends that he grew up with are all from Derry and Tyrone, and and a lot of people in Belfast, but mainly Derry and Tyrone, um, they would would really use a lot of ISL because predominantly they were Catholic and they were sent to the Catholic school, you know, which Mm. the only one was in Dublin. So... I can kind of get where that person was coming from, but it—I suppose in Northern Ireland they do recognise two languages, which is great, you know. And um, so it is fantastic to have that, and it was great to see both um, IFL and BFL representatives side by side. I think the way they even shot it was class; like they kind of merged the two videos together, um, and to see them side by side. I suppose, interpreting the same information and the differences in their facial expressions, just their hand movements and their bodies. It's just, it's actually really cool to watch. If you you do watch it, if you see it next time, just even look at how different they are. They look kind of the same because two of them have blonde hair, but (laughs) what they're signing is completely different.
2: That's actually something that um, I think when I started this, because I was thinking when I was doing this episode, I was like, what are the stupid presumptions I had about deaf people before I start to? Or, and just sign language in general. One of them was like, didn't realize that there was more than one sign language, which I think is a common enough thing. I mm-hmm. encounter that a lot. And then I remember because I like that, I would watch the the, the new books all the time. And I remember my brother saying to me. You know, it's it's like a really like facial thing. Like, like I get the hand movements, but I don't get the face movements. And it was only after that I realized I was like, ah, oh, sign language is like most that's a lot of facial expressions. Like that's that's context right there.
1: Yeah, mm. yeah. Like they I studied um, Irish sign language teaching in college, um, and then after that, deaf studies, and you know, so. I kind of studied sign linguistics They don't ask me a lot of detail because it was so long ago and I don't um, teach sign language. That's not my job. But, you know, I I remember the the things that stuck out to me in that was that, you know, just much like you spell a word, there's a certain order, a certain alphabet, you know, to to spell that particular word. For a sign, there's five different elements to that. So it's the orientation, hand shape, movement, location and NMF, so NMF stands for non-manual features. So, you know, your the location is where in, I suppose, you know, is it on your heart or is it on your head or whatever? The orientation, which way is your hand facing? The actual hand shapes of the alphabet itself. Um, and how does it move? Does it tap twice? Does it go upwards? But your NMFs actually account for approximately 70% of what the word is. So it's, it's much like tone of voice you know so if you were to say the word just even the word why for example you know if you were to say it in different tones it means different things you could say it in an angry way or whatever you have to represent that on your face and on your body you know so it is it does count for a lot because if you if I was signing and you just cut off my head it would be very difficult for for anybody to understand what I'm saying it actually reminds me of um I went to a comedy show to Four Lamps and Hogs, and um, it was interpreted in, in the Abbey Theatre, and it was mm. class. Like it was like my first ever, a second comedy show that I went to with a, an interpreter. And uh, part of their act was that the the three guys were wearing balaclavas, right? But they went over to the interpreter and put a balaclava on the interpreter's head, and the deaf people, they were quite trendy, we were all in stitches laughing because. We, we know that that interpreter is standing there going, oh my God, the deaf people can't see my face. And, and I could see, we could all see that person kind of going, so I just take it off or just like leave it on? So they kind of left it on and we just were like more and laughing. We could still understand him, but then I think maybe like three minutes in, he just kind of like took it off, you know. But it was just actually really funny that we were trying to understand, but it was difficult, you know, so but that was hilarious.
2: Yeah. And I think that that, I'm glad you have said that because unfortunately, like through no fault of their own, I think people, people very often see things like sign language gloves and they get very excited and they're like, oh, that's a sign language glove. We cracked it. (laughs) And that kind of just tells you that, like, they're not really that useful, actually. And they're probably made without any deaf person's input. Don't
1: get me started on that now. (laughs) I just think there's been a lot of money and I get it, you know, it's artificial intelligence, it's looking at, you know, how technology and, you know, engineers are thinking of creative ways, but like the amount of money that's invested into that, you know, uh, there's millions and it's like, you know, what would really be useful if everyone learned sign language instead, or, you know, maybe I could get interpreters for when I'm in the workplace or, go to a a comedy show and there's always going to be an interpreter there, you know, but you have to fight for that. And it's just these gloves are, and then they get so much media attention as well. And it's very like, Mm. breathe. (laughs) There's,
0: There's more, there's more attention offered to heroes arriving, solving a problem they don't, they don't actually understand than actual activists working things. The other probably another misinterpretation is the idea that I guess people don't see a kind of a tradition of activism or in um, that leads to some of these things happening. And we've seen recently with that about yeah maybe that a certain technology developed will be will be lauded and but we don't know if it's any good or not. And maybe the the opinion of a of a deaf person isn't sought uh, at the development stage or at the reaction stage even, but instead. We hear about yeah, what what we always in the podcast talk about the way it's taught, being uh, (laughs) being brought up, and instead of actually the core issue, as you say, I mean, there's um, there's always money to 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 fix the wrong problem.
1: Yeah, 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 and you know, like a personal opinion of mine, um, I, I don't know if maybe I should say it, but you know, like. There is, I suppose, it stems from the whole medical model kind of point of view is always trying to fix deaf people, you know. And, you know, I use hearing aids myself, right? And, you know, I, I don't have a cochlear implant. I don't have anything against cochlear implants. Um, but, you know, there are people, there's only a certain amount of people that are eligible to get a cochlear implant. You have to be, you know, you have to have X level of deafness under a certain ph- or under a certain decibel level but you also have to have had been exposed to some sound to be eligible for it because if your brain has never been exposed to sound it's never going to take so it needed to have been exposed to sound so these cochlear implants you know and it's great and it works for a lot of people and it's brilliant and i might get one when once the hearing aids no longer work but you know that that's free And then I look at kind of people like my dad who has struggled to get an interpreter to just, you know, go to hospital for his appointment. And it's like, you know, well, if he was eligible for a cochlear implant, he would have gotten that whatever half a million euros that it would have cost for the cochlear implant. But then, you know, hospitals or public services or, you know, private businesses have an issue with paying, you know, 120 euro for an interpreter or whatever it may be, you know, so... It's a bit like that, you know, the cochlear implant is trying to fix you and we'll invest the money in Mm. that. And, you know, actually, you know, the interpreter, he needs that, you know. Mm.
2: Yeah, I think it makes a, because you said something earlier and I wanted to pull back on it. And I think this kind of talks about it a bit. You mentioned deaf culture. And I think that's a thing that the medical model, so this perception of, oh, you're deaf, you need to be fixed or whatever the situation is, like thinking about people in a medical context rather than the social context or rather in like, what's that person's reality or how do they feel about their life? And I think something that it's it makes me really sad that people don't see deaf culture more visibly. Um, There's been some good documentaries recently. There was one maybe two years ago, Mother, Father, Deaf and on RT had it. It was really good about uh, children of deaf adults, CODAs. And then there was one a few years before that was really good as well, around the time that the act was coming into force. But people, if you could maybe tell us a little bit about deaf culture, because I think it's just a wonderful thing that so often people just fundamentally misunderstand.
1: Mm. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll try and condense it as the best I can, but I suppose, you know, the deaf community itself, you know, we view ourselves as a, a cultural linguistic minority and not as a, a, you know, someone who's disabled. So that. We do use the disability labels because we have to to get certain things, you know. Mm-hmm. But we very much view ourselves as, you know, as a separate community. Um, but in terms of deaf culture, you know, there we have our own poetry. Like, there we have a community center. The, you know, jokes. We have a different sense of humor because our jokes are very much based on the visual. Um, you know, like in just even thinking of like comedians, you know, the one-liner comedians, you know, the the punchline. Deaf people, that's not really a thing in deaf humor. It's more the storytelling aspect of it, and you're kind of you're waiting and waiting, but you're laughing the whole way throughout the joke. It's, it's a bit like observationalist comedy because there's so much in it. It's just so much facial expression. But in terms of, I suppose, like you know, there's so many community organizations where people get together and connect. I mean, before social media kind of existed, you know, like I remember just even. Being in post primary school, and uh, you know, every Thursday we'd go into O'Connell Street, and you know, there was no mobile phones kind of back then, you know. So, but we deaf people knew just go there on a Thursday at four o'clock and just stand and wait, and just going to be on Ethan's steps, and um, just stand and wait, and there's, the deaf people will just go there, and like we we be standing outside Ethan's for kind of like three four hours just chatting away because this is our only time to see each other, like. The mobile phones text messages you have to pay you know I don't know a pound to, to send a text message and you know I suppose because ISL is, is a visual language you know that face-to-face contact is really important I mean even now with social media it's been great because you know everything's on video now like even this podcast is being video recorded and stuff so deaf people are kind of being exposed to more and more information and I was even just thinking about this before the the podcast was you know there are community organizations out there you know for youth sports bowling just social um, groups and stuff but there's actually the same on social media and it's great I mean there's a Facebook page for everything and it's called you know stuff like you know deaf women or it's called deaf cookery or deaf quizzes and it's it's, it's just basically like there's so many facebook groups where deaf people can talk about certain topics like politics even cars and sports just a huge range you know so it very much is a community but we're just dispersed you know, across the pop, you know, the islands of Ireland, and that's just the way it is. You know, we're not, we don't all live in the same village. It'd be like, you know, there was a village down in Cork or something like that, and it was like, I don't know, two thousand people. It's, it's very much like that, but it's dispersed across all of Ireland.
2: Yeah, and I think it, it is, its is—it's because I—I'm—I don't want to call myself a lurker, but I—I I started learning sign language a, a few years ago, and I'm still not great at it, and I need to get back into it. Um, but uh, I—I'm on the, the there's like Facebook group uh, for like a lot of deaf people, um, it's vlogs and stuff, and like there's there's everything and anything being discussed there, and it's a really kind of wonderful insight. Um, and like I do learn a little bit on it, but it, but it is you kind of see this whole community that otherwise. You said isn't really exposed to, but like, yeah, everything and it's 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 very similar. Coming from like a, a, cult, a cultural minority background, Irish speaking, I see so many similarities, and I think I think that the Irish, I, I would hope that Irish speaking communities would show a little bit of solidarity to um, the deaf community because I think you know, there's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of ways you could understand the struggle of your language not being recognized and how frustrating that can be. Mm-hmm. And I think nowadays maybe there's no Irish speakers really who don't haven't, you know, don't speak English also, they can't avail of the service anyway. It's not an access issue, mm-hmm. but it's still an identity issue and a cultural issue. And I think that that's a strong connection. I think that I, I would hope people would exploit a little bit more and maybe sh- show allyship, I guess, to to the deaf community. So I was just saying that I think that there's a lot of allyship to be had between, there's a lot of similarities between the Irish language community and the deaf community in terms of not so much the access issue, but like the identity issue and like having your identity recognised and your culture recognised.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think even like during the Repeal the Eighth campaign, um, like I was involved with the deaf community together for yes, and, you know, we had our own Facebook page where we were sharing information in you know Irish language and we got contacted by i suppose the Irish i can't don't even, i can't even know what the the organisation or the community group was called but um i, I suppose they colleague if you want to call it a a member of the group with me he actually did a sign language video in irish sign language while someone was actually speaking irish and it was really cool to see the two things they swapped badges and everything so that was like real cool to see like two languages of ireland not english to be represented in the same video it was it was actually quite cool to see that
0: yeah this this touches on something else i wanted to ask which is the access to the irish language or lack of that deaf people experience which is that and um, so often we hear conversations about the the Irish language where people focus on pronunciation conchi things like this and that and and uh, and in these in the, sometimes while these areas are, are are important in their own way we people can often be completely oblivious to the fact that some people experience the Irish language in its written form and particularly people who um people who live, who live with deafness or people who are deaf um, are often at that, in their education don't get Irish teachers at all
1: No um, I, and it's, it's, I never knew this until I went post-primaries because I suppose where I'm from in Donegal it is actually quite a gale-toft area um, and I suppose like everyone else I was in a mainstream school learned Irish all the way through primary level like you know even 20 kilometres you know near my house, all the rose signs are in Irish, so I was always exposed to Irish growing up. And then when I made the decision to move to Dublin to the deaf school, um, I was shocked to see that they don't actually teach Irish as a subject in the deaf school. And I was a bit confused, I didn't really understand why, And um, you know, it was like 12 years, 11 years of age at the time. Um, but yeah, I then realised that I suppose deaf people could be exempt from learning Irish, but... The consequences of that is actually, you know, phenomenal because, like, it meant that then deaf people couldn't become primary school teachers, and mm-hmm. it was a big issue that was raised for years and years and years. When I was actually in school, um, a TV program called Hands On did a program about this because it just meant that in primary school level there were no deaf teachers because they couldn't, they didn't have Irish to go to the, you know, primary school teaching course. But they were never taught Irish in the first place. And if they want to teach in a deaf school, they don't need Irish. So I know Dr Elizabeth Matthews, along with the Catholic Institute for Deaf People Education Partnership Group, you know, they did a lot of work together and I suppose kind of campaigns, you know, to the Department of Education and to the HGA about setting up. I suppose, this particular program for deaf people where they could go and become a primary school teacher. And instead of the Irish language, they replace it with the Irish sign language. So you need to have a certain standard of ISL to get into the course. You need to be deaf as well. So that actually, we finally got it through funding, I think it was, um, from the HEA, I think. can't remember what, but they, for the first time two years ago, um, four deaf students enrolled into the Bachelor of Ed um, programme in DCU, where they hopefully will become the very first qualified primary deaf school teachers in Ireland. And I think that that's amazing, you know, it's a pilot. Um, I don't know if the demand is there to do it every year, because the numbers of of deaf people with ISL is, is getting smaller and smaller, I suppose in terms of those who use it as their first language so but it, there is a real need for you know primary school teachers to be deaf to be role models for deaf children you know and so that they can aspire to be but yeah I was very disappointed that you know Irish wasn't taught but yet I was learning French and I did French for my junior start so I was like what how why can I learn French and not my own language you know so f- even though everyone probably were like you're so lucky mm-hmm. you didn't have to learn it but when you don't when you can't have it, you want it, you know?
0: Yeah, I
2: think that's something that's... that. It kind of makes me a little bit sad because the decision's already made. It's whether yeah. it's whether or not you want to learn Irish is one thing, but, like, it's already made for deaf people. And, like, I don't know, I think it stems from this idea that Irish is a really hard language. So, like, oh, we have to be um, put on mm-hmm. the side. But I think one of the things that you mentioned there about that uh, teach, teacher training, I think it's... I, if you were to say to a, a person... Oh, the the teacher in the Gael School doesn't speak Irish, yes. or or like never learned Irish. Like people would be like, "What? Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense." But like first until, as you said, until this course was brought in, um, you know, um, which very proud of DC for that and Elizabeth Matthews and all the the work they've done. Um, but the the to say that the the teachers in the deaf school, you know, weren't deaf themselves. I mean, okay, they they had sign language, but it's different. You know, it's not it's. Like you said, it's about representation, and and then yes. learning learning ISL from a deaf person is different than again.
1: Yeah, I think you, the whole kind of representation and, and role models is it's so important. You know, especially because when when you're young and you know you're deaf and you're you're different, you know you, you're different. And if you had a teacher who was like you that kind of gives you, uh, I want to be like, you know, Mrs. Whatever when I grow up, you know, but when you don't see anyone like you, um, you, you kind of wonder where you're going to go. So it is around representation. It, it, and it has gotten better. Don't get me wrong. It definitely has. But, you know, I wish that like all the deaf t- the school teachers were deaf, you know, especially those in the deaf schools, because I just think that role model, there's even that whole kind of Cultural, linguistic, and you know, really understanding how deaf people feel and they go through the same struggles, or you know, they've had the same experience, you know. So I think that that's important. They're able to empathise better.
2: Yeah, because as you were saying earlier, like a lot of deaf people aren't born into deaf families. Like so, to find out about deaf culture, they can't necessarily get it from like if you if you learn Irish from your parents, you're learning that culture. But if you have to go out and find that culture elsewhere you know, it's not the same. And I think that's that's definitely true for a lot of deaf people that they don't learn. It's You can't because you're born into a hearing family. So you have to seek out that. So having deaf teachers would be awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah. And one of the other things you just kind of prompted me there was that, you know, in, I suppose, when, when I went to school, um, the Irish Sign Language was never taught as a subject, you know, so deaf children were learning from other deaf children in school and older deaf children. So, you know, that, and I know in, in Scandinavian countries where they're <laughs> way ahead of the curve anyway, you know, they actually teach their sign language as a subject. And part of that, they teach them like deaf history and stuff like this, which, you know, that could be done here as well, you know, especially in the deaf schools, you're giving them that culture knowledge and they're being, I suppose, you know, they're being taught the correct signs to use, which... You know, sometimes they get it wrong, like I said, the handshake, but no one's formally teaching them how to sign. You know, they're picking it up by, you know, watching their friends or the older boys and girls in school and stuff and from the deaf teachers. So it does need to be a subject as well, I think, in schools, particularly for for deaf schools.
2: Yeah, because I always see that discussion every like once a month on Twitter. People are like, oh, we should teach teach sign language in schools and i'm like yeah but start with the deaf schools <laughs> start with the deaf kids first yeah i mean like in in my school
1: like it was obviously a long time ago now since i left school but you know i really didn't have any idea about how sign language started like what i you know i told you about like the dominican nuns going off to france i only learned all of that in transition year like you know because it was transition year and there was a subject on deaf studies and that was only really when I learned about all of the history. And I was like, why were, why wasn't this included in our, you know, every year, you know, it just wasn't. But, um, and I know it has changed, which is great, but um, yeah, it was just unfortunate it wasn't back then, you know. I really had to go out and find information myself.
2: You said something interesting there about uh, Scandinavia, and I always find it lovely that, so when I say that I live a lot in Finland, my boyfriend's Finnish, so um, uh, when I say to like hearing people, about Finland they have no reaction and know nothing about it but when I talk to deaf people about Finland they know everything a bunch of them have been to Finland because like Finland was one of the early countries to recognize sign language in the constitution and like the world federation of the deaf was here in 1991 so like deaf people have like they are tuned in they're like heavy metal music is really big in Finland so they're heavy metal fans and deaf people know everything there is to know about Finland. (laughs) Yeah, I think I
1: suppose um, Dr. John Bosco-Conema, like um, his uh, PhD, I think it's PhD um, studies was looking at a comparison between Ireland and Finland because it shared a kind of similar population and stuff like that. So um, I think, you know, he kind of spread the message across Ireland about like how great Finland was. So yeah, and it's not true for just Ireland. Like a lot of people around the world kind of know that that Finland Finland are very, very good. You Know from the inclusion of deaf people,
2: yeah.
0: So, so Caroline, if you could sneak into Leinster House at night with a magic pen and change one law or, or change one government policy, what would it be?
1: Oh, Jesus. Um, I suppose it's it kind of has come into play with the Irish Sign Language Act where it basically puts an emphasis on public services to provide sign language interpretation for deaf people should they request it, you know. But it just, it hasn't been fully realised yet, you know. I think it's going to take a very long time for us to... For deaf people to be in, to kind of walk in and say, I want an interpreter and everyone knows exactly what to do and why it's important. And not try and get around things like, oh, sure, you're grand with a pen and paper or whatever. You know, it's, it's really about just being able to access, you know, services in your own language. And I know I'm talking about public services, but... There's other aspects of life as well, you know, we don't all just go into the revenue and the social welfare office, you know, um, like we go to comedy shows, but you just have to wait and hope that there's a comedy show that's interpreted or, or subtitled even that's accessible. So, you know, I suppose you asked me what I was changed. It was just that, I suppose, just being able to go in and request it and it's there and not have mm. to constantly fight and like, you know, make a case as to why it should be there. You know, that that to me is the biggest thing is always having to fight for, you know, access and stuff like that. I mean, even in my day job, when I'm not in the telly, um, I work in a disability organisation where I, I particularly work in the, the workplace. So basically graduates with disabilities going into employment. So I don't just work with deaf people with all kinds of disabilities, but, you know, for me, like, I see the same kind of, you know, trying to fight for access and stuff like that. But for deaf people, it's, it's the sign language, understanding the language barriers and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think it's, I wish there was one day where I wouldn't have to fight as much. It means I'd be out of a job, but <laughs> that's okay. If everyone could be included then that, fine. I'm happy with having no job, so... <laughs>
0: you find that they'll find other things to do, Caroline, that you wouldn't be out of a job. You'd just be doing slightly different, <laughs> dealing with slightly different pains every day.
1: I probably actually uh, make use of my Irish Sign Language teaching diploma. <laughs> probably go back teaching sign language or something, you know. So, but yeah, like I always say to people, I know I've done my job when I do myself out of a job, you know. So that's kind of where yeah. I want to be and um, not just in my, my day job, but just in everything I do, you know
2: yeah that's fantastic oh, but that that is so true like I mean the the work that you and uh, I mean Caroline's a great activist, <laughs> she's so cool um but like it's 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 exhausting, you know, activism is exhausting, and to do that every day for deaf people, like i mean you were saying direct to change one law, I think maybe society needs to change first, <laughs> yeah, you know people's attitude needs to change about it that you don't have to arrow shoot ground with a pen and paper, no. <laughs> that's not the point either that's not it's not the point like it's not the point that you know um you yes, know, it's not it all, it's
0: not it's not all about laws and stuff it's 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 that the attitudes that actually create them mm-hmm. and you know they, they move in different directions but before we it up i mean um before we started recording caroline you and i i mentioned to you that i um um through my daughter i know i have some experience with using love and i know some people will be aware of love. And, but the, the difference is, while people are conscious that it's different from ISL, they're not entirely sure why. And maybe you could take a moment to clarify what, exactly what the difference is.
1: Yeah, so um, I, I have to just kind of full disclosure, I don't know love, um And I, I haven't done too much research about it. But what I do know about it is that it definitely um, kind of borrowed signs from Irish sign language. So there are similarities in certain words. But some signs have been more simplified. So, like, complex handshapes have been kind of reduced to kind of make it a little bit easier. And I suppose the main thing with love as well, is not a language. It's a communication tool. So it's used, mm-hmm. along with spoken English, to, I suppose, get a message across in multiple forms, you know, multiple means Whereas you know, with sign language, it's its own language. Like it's very, very difficult to speak and be totally IFL at the same time. You know, you can you can speak in sign, and I, I have done it. Um, but I'm very like stiff, and I just sometimes feel like Jesus. Can I can I just say this in sign first, and then I'll talk about it in English? Because it's very hard to be com do it completely in IFL and completely in English if. If I do it completely in ISL, I then speak like broken English. So yeah, whereas with love it's, it's more a communication tool. It's used to assist um speaking just to get a message across. So that that's about mm. as much as I know of it. And it's great that it is there. And I know um people with autism or autistic people, sorry, you know, they sometimes use love as well, um, which is used again like a communication tool because then um, they may be nonverbal or something like that. So mm.
0: I think that's that's succinct. So, um, do you have anything to add, Caroline?
2: Um, so, we usually ask our guests, Caroline, you can say no if you don't want to do this, but we usually ask our guests what their favourite Irish word is. But do you have a favourite ISL sign? Yeah. <laughs> do you want to show it to us? <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh,
1: so, yeah, there, there's a couple of them, but I kind of I'll do one that kind of is a lot of deaf people's favourite signs. Okay. So, right. Um, I'll kind of show it on video first and then I'll say it. Okay. So, it. Cover. It. So it's kind of like you're, you're flicking two kind of your index finger and your middle finger. You're flicking it off, and you would you would say foo, like foo, f o o, foo. Okay.
0: Oh.
1: Foo, and like it doesn't have one exact meaning. It means a lot of different things. So like let's say if someone kind of made a fool out of you or whatever it was, you'd be like oh like oh go away would you or it's like um hmm. you know oh did you do your homework off through like you couldn't be bothered or so it's got like a lot of different meanings and like sometimes you can over exaggerate it you know where you can kind of do it for longer and use more expressions so that's one that's really popular that's actually specific to ireland as well and um, it's kind of slang but we even use it like in text messages we go oh foo you know like with multiple o's just to give a bit of context because it's in text so that would be like one of my favorites it's a lot of deaf people's favorites
2: Cool. Yeah, that was really fun. Fantastic. Um, so Definitely. if you're not actually watching the video, if you're only listening on audio, you've missed it. So you better watch the video. Um, <laughs> that's really exciting. Thank you so much.
0: <laughs> Caroline, thank you so much for joining us today on folklore.
2: No worries. Thank you very much, guys. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm so glad we did this episode. I do want to say mm-hmm. as well, I know this is going to be our accessible episode and probably our only as at the moment. And um, we are working to transcribe our episodes um, to make them because we know that It's no use doing one accessible thing, Um, it's like... A government organization producing one Irish language thing and the Gaelia, and then never doing it again. So, I know that, and
0: we, we are, are going to try and, and make... we are. I suppose we, we are through the support of listeners who use Patreon. We have we, we are getting the resources to actually get some of our episodes transcribed. We're going to start with some of our popular uh, hit episodes, and we're, we're work our way back down. So, if your episode is last to be transcribed, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Yeah.
2: As the few ones that I've done, I'm sure that will be bottom of the barrel.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but um, we are—it's it, it's something we—it's well, something that um, it's something that we're very happy to do, and it's something that I am just—I'm I'm touched that our listeners have supported us to the point that we are now able to start the process of actually engaging on this one. So it's fantastic. Yes. Okay. So until the next time, slant from me
2: and slant for me, Caroline. How do you say bye? And I just wave. Is it? Yeah, just wave, yeah. I thought so. Good enough. <laughs> bye. Bye, guys. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.
0: This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.